Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from Genesis, the third chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You should not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals, and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree about which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground for which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. 
Well, I am Pastor Ben, and it is my, my privilege to start a new sermon series with you today called Erasing Envy. And it was one fall, wintry day, kind of like what we've experienced recently this past week, that I remember my dad came in. I was in middle school. And he said, hey, let's go to Mankato. So he got me and my brothers. I have two older brothers, and we got in the car, and I was so excited to go to Mankato because for me, Mankato was the big city. Now, you probably don't know what Mankato is, but Mankato is just a big town. It's a big town in Minnesota. But I thought it was the big city because that was the closest place to me where there was a Best Buy. And when the guys got together, me and my brothers and my dad, I was certain to go to Best Buy. Not to buy anything, because we never bought anything there. We just had the experience, right? We'd go in, we'd play with the video games, we'd mess around with the stereos, and then we'd just stare at the TVs, the latest technology that we could never, ever afford. But this day was different. It was different because we actually went home with a TV. My dad had saved his money over the years, and it was time to invest into a nice television for the family. And we got a nice TV, at least by mid-90s standards. It was an RCA 36-inch TV. It was one of those TVs that was as tall as it was wide as it was deep, right? A big just block of technology. Now, you're laughing because everyone has a, a nicer TV than that now, and it costs a quarter of that amount, but that was the nicest and biggest tube TV that they made in the mid nineties. So we wrestled that beast into our car. We drove it home and we got the whole family together to get that down into the basement, to let it go to its final resting place because no one was carrying that thing out of the basement ever. But we were so excited. I was so excited. I mean, movies on this nice TV, sporting events, on this nice TV. I couldn't wait to tell my friends. I mean, we had one of the nicest TVs in my small town that I grew up in, and I couldn't wait to make all of my friends envious. Well, fast forward, I'm now a young adult at this point in time in my life. I'm, I'm late teens, early 20s, and I find myself once again in an electronics store. This time it wasn't Best Buy, it was actually Circuit City. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that shows that you're quite a bit younger than me. Circuit City went bankrupt a long time ago. But I was in Circuit City and I was looking at the TVs, right? Just kind of taking in all the latest technology. Well, all of a sudden a salesman comes up and we all know those people are very irritating. And so I tried to get rid of him, right? I tried to blow him off. And so I said what all of you have said before many, many times, I'm just looking, right? I'm just looking, right? Please go away. It's my nice way of saying, please go away. I don't want to deal with you right now. But he would not go away. He would not leave. He kept talking to me and pestering me. And finally I'd had enough. And I said, look, I can't afford your worst TV, right? I can't pay for any of this stuff, especially the one that I would get if I could really get a TV or had the money. And he said, that's no problem. We have this great promotion going on right now. If you get a Circuit City credit card for six months, you don't have to pay a dime. And then after that, you just pay it off at your own pace until you fully paid it off. Now that was interesting, but it didn't really sink its teeth into me. What really got me is when he said, don't you want to have a TV like everyone else? And before I knew it, guess what was happening? The delivery team was bringing this TV up into my small little apartment. He had got me with the oldest trick in the book, right? He had got me with envy. One of my worst mistakes in my life was directly connected to this idea of wanting what somebody else had that I didn't have, right? Envy. And it, like I said, it turned into the worst mistake of my life because here's what happened. As you all know where this is going, I paid for this thing for months 
and years and years and years. And by the end, I had paid three times more than this thing was worth. And what made it worse was this was right during the time frame when widescreen flat screens came out, which means by the time I was done paying for this thing, I couldn't sell it. I couldn't even give it away for free. No one wanted this thing anymore. Well, as you think about your life, I bet you that envy has done its own damage there. In fact, as you think about some of your worst mistakes, I bet you most of them, if not all of them, were directly connected to this idea of envy. But it's not just a me issue, and it's not just a you issue. It's not even just an American issue. It's a global issue. It's really a timeless issue. In fact, all the way back in Christ's day, we we run into this verse written to the people of that day, and this is what it says. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and wickedness of every kind. As James penned this, his simple thought was this. If you let envy control you, if you let envy creep in, it's going to create havoc, right? Disorder. It's going to destroy you. That's what envy does. In fact, if we back up even further in the story to the beginning of the story, this is exactly how Satan sinks his teeth into each and every one of us. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. So as we step into the first book of the Bible, the first piece of history recorded in our scripture, we run into the serpent. This is Satan. Now, if you've been around church long enough, you kind of know the origin story of Satan. He was this beautiful angel called Lucifer, very powerful, a lot of authority. But when he looked at God, he got envious, right? He wanted to be in the place of God. And so he started a coup. He got some angels together. They tried to overthrow God. They weren't able to do it. And so Satan gets cast down. And in the process, it starts this conversation with Adam and Eve. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. So as we step in this story, we step into a conversation, a conversation between Satan and humanity, right? Satan and Adam and Eve. And right away, we start learning something about ourselves as humans We see, just like Eve, we are very much the same, that we forget the truth very, very quickly. You see, God didn't say that she couldn't touch the fruit. God just said, don't eat the fruit. But right away, she's already lost hold of the truth. And we're very much the same. If we don't constantly digest, constantly taking God's truth, it's so easy that it slips away. But we also see something very important about God. You see, God knows that that love requires free will. So we see that he does something very, very interesting here. Where does it say this tree is? It's in the middle of the garden. Adam and Eve, they had one rule, right? One job. Don't eat from this tree. But he put it right in the middle of the garden. Now, why would he do that? Why would he put the source of temptation, the only way that they could fail, right in the middle of the garden? Because God knows this about love, and this is what you know about love. It requires a free choice. It requires free will. And this is why when you proposed to your husband or you proposed to your wife, you said, will you marry me, right? What you didn't say was, you will marry me. You see the difference? See how God functions? He puts the tree right in the middle of the garden so that they have the option to reject him. They have the option to push away his rules, his ways, his love. 
Well, let's see what they do. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So Satan throws out his sales pitch, right? He uses the, the eternal sales pitch of envy. He says, don't you want this? If you eat of this fruit, you don't just get fruit. You get to be like God. God has something that you don't have. He has knowledge and wisdom. And if you eat of this fruit, this is what you get. Well, let's see what she does. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, right? So she's contemplating it. She's curious about it. It's going to do something for her. She's going to get something in a really simple and easy way, right? She can get what God wants by simply just eating of the fruit. Well, this is what she does. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who is with her and he ate. They bought into the lie. They bought into the sales pitch. They wanted to be like God. They wanted something that only God had. And so they ate of the fruit and the consequences began almost immediately. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. You see, the first consequence that we see is that their perfect relationship with each other, between man and wife, between man and woman, it was broken. Right? They started covering themselves up. They started creating separation between each other. But it just didn't break that relationship. It broke another very important relationship. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, not only was the relationship between Adam and Eve broken, the relationship between God and mankind was broken. But there's more. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I command you not to eat? So God continues the conversation and, and he gives them an opportunity to fess up, right? Did you do this? Of course he knows they did this. Did you do this, Adam and Eve? Give me an answer. Well, this is the response. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Oh, Adam. He had the opportunity to say, God, I'm sorry. I screwed up. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. Instead, what does he do? He does what, honestly, all of us do, don't we? Point at someone else. It's not my fault. It's their fault. The first person he points at is God, right? God, you gave me this woman. If you didn't give me this woman, this wouldn't have happened. And then he makes possibly probably the worst mistake. It's my wife, right? It's my wife's fault. She did it. Oh, Adam. This is not going to go well for you, but he's not alone. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. So Eve does the same thing, right? Blaming someone else for our mistakes. It was a serpent. It was Satan. If he wasn't here, this would have never have happened. Well, the story continues. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures, upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So the consequences keep mounting up. 
And God says to Satan, look, all of your days, you will eat dust. Now this doesn't really make sense in our modern context, but in that region and in that day, this is what this is implying. You see, when you defeat a king in that day, in the desert area, you take him out into the desert and you'd shove his face into the sand. And what you're doing is you're humiliating him, right? You are humbling him. You were saying that you thought you were strong. You thought you were powerful, but I have humbled you. And God says to Satan, I'm going to humble you all the days of your life. And this is how he's going to do it. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I love, I love this analogy. Imagine you're out in your garden and you're doing some gardening and this gardener snake comes up and it bites you on the heel. What are you going to do? Right, you're going to turn around and you're going to go, game over. No more gardener snake, right? You're going to kill that thing because it irritated you. It made you mad and you crushed its head. We do the same thing when we're out there by the lake, right? Mosquito comes, buzzes at you, bites you, and you do what? It's gone. What God is saying is, Satan, this is what you're going to do. You're going to attack and you're going to think you've won just like the snake thinks it's won when it bites you. Just like the mosquito thinks it's won when it, when it bites you. They think they have won. But I'm going to crush you. I'm going to smack you. Your day is going to be done. See, Satan, later on in the story that we all know very, very well is going to put Jesus on the cross and he's going to think he has won the day. He's going to think that he is the victor. But what he didn't know is that Jesus was just about to stomp on his dreams. To come down from the cross. He was going to defeat death. He was going to defeat sin. He was going to rise again. And this prediction by God at the beginning of the story would come true. Well, we read more. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. So we see more consequences, but this one's a little bit comical. I know, ladies, you're not seeing it that way. But when you have kids, it hurts. That's the rumor on the street. That's what I've heard, right? It it doesn't feel great. The part that I think is kind of funny is, look at the result. Yet, despite that, your desire will still be for your husband, right? Despite the pain in childbearing, you will actually still want to be in relationship with this person, right, who's there with you. In fact, you might even get this crazy notion that you might have another child after that. I mean, what is that? It's a consequence, right? The story continues. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I command you, you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. To the guys, he says, look, you're going to work and work and work and work. And everything that you try to accomplish, there's going to be something working against you the entire time. If it's farming, it's thorns and thistles. It's weather. It's all these things. No matter what you do to earn a living, there's going to be something working against you. That's one of these consequences. Well, there's more. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the ultimate consequence for each and every one of us is death is coming for each and every one of us because of the sin, because of what envy did to our world. Well, the man said, 
The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. You see, there was more consequences. These just keep mounting up. But this time it starts affecting things that were innocent. You see, our sins don't just affect us. It affects those around us. And sometimes it pours onto the innocence. Look, what is the result? An animal, an innocent animal who hadn't done anything dies because of sin, because of this envy, because of the outpouring of the evilness of our heart. Well, the story continues. Then the Lord God said, see, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. See, God starts seeing the consequences and the results of the sin of this envy that has crept into the world. He says, we have an issue here, or we have another tree in the garden, the tree of life. And if they eat of it, they will have eternal life. But right now they're in a mess. They're full of envy. They're full of corruption. They're full of sin. And if they eat of that tree, that just means that they'll be perpetuating the problem for their whole entire lives for all of eternity. So we have to do something. And this is what happens. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, God pushed them out of the garden for their protection. He pushed them out of the garden because he knew he had a plan of restoration. He knew he was going to send his son to restore things back to their proper order. He knew he was going to do something to fix this whole issue. So the question that we're left with is how do we erase envy? Now we see the beginning of this answer right away in the story. We see that, that God's going to do something with Jesus. He's going to send his son. He's going to erase envy and sin and corruption and death from our lives. And there will be a, a permanent solution for all this. But what do we do in the meantime? Right? What do we do while we're still here and we're still battling this and, and still dealing with this, this destructive nature within us? What do we do? Well, this month actually has the answer. You see, it's November and we have a, a holiday that we celebrate. And you guys all know what it is, right? That's right, it's Black Friday, right? We all go out. Someone else has something that we have. We find a magazine for a much cheaper price. And then we go out and we buy it, right? And then we're even, we're good. Now, of course, I'm joking. It's Thanksgiving, right? The day before Black Friday, ironically, we get together with family and friends and we sit around and we say, what are we thankful for? Right? What are we thankful for? What has God blessed us with, given us, that we can just say, God, thank you for providing all of these things. Thank you, God, for being who we are. You see, there's a very simple way to erase envy. It's being thankful. In fact, let's go back in our story. Imagine the Garden of Eden story. Imagine Adam and Eve, Satan, he comes up, he's, he's ready to get him, right? He's ready to, to make his sales pitch and, and have him make this mistake. And he says, Eve, what are the rules here? What's the deal with this tree? What can you do with this? And she says, well, we're not supposed to eat of it, Satan. He says, but if you eat of it, I know that you actually get wisdom. That's wisdom that only God has. Don't you want that? And Eve responds, not really. Have you looked around, Satan? I mean, we live in paradise. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's no shortage of food. 
I have my husband. We're in perfect relationship. We get to spend time with God. I mean, what else could we want? And Satan says, but don't you want everything? And she says, no. We're pretty grateful for what we have. And the story changes. In fact, everything changes. And that truth is still true today. Is that when we have envy creeping up in our hearts, there's one easy way to erase it. Being thankful. Being thankful for the relationships that we have. Being thankful for the finances that we have. Being thankful for the the job and the house and the possessions that we have. And when we take on this attitude of being thankful, we find our, our first step, our first way of erasing envy. Oh, 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 oh,